You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Hello, welcome to COVID-19, Update for Healthcare Professionals, Voices from the Frontlines podcast. You may notice a few audio imperfections due to the live recording of this session. It was recorded remotely from the presenter's homes and without professional equipment. So um, uh, my name is Dr. Libby Sampson. I'm a uh, manager in clinical services here at WorkSafeBC. And we are going to be speaking tonight about um, office-based primary care, uh, safety for your patients, your staff, and yourself in the era of COVID-19. Um, and with me here today, again, also is Jacqueline Holmes, uh, Dr. Brenda Hardy, and Andrea Friesen. Um, our disclosures are here. Uh, I have nothing to disclose other than the fact that I am a salaried employee of WorkSafe BC. So the learning objectives for this evening are to identify how healthcare professionals can obtain workplace coverage for themselves, identify ways in which WorkSafe BC can support community care, identify and review office-based strategies to prevent or limit transmission of COVID-19 so that you can keep yourself, your staff, and your patients safe, and then finally to describe an approach to addressing COVID-related workplace concerns that your patients may have and to help them identify resources and for yourself to know where the resources are that are relevant to a variety of, of uh, sectors and workplaces. Um, and these uh, resources are available on the WorkSafe BC site and updated regularly on the BC CDC website. And we, at the end of the um, uh, presentation, we have uh, slides where we have the links to all the resources that we're going to be referring to this evening. So first uh, topic is coverage for physicians in primary care. So when we talk about coverage for physicians, there are just four terms generally to understand. So that's the worker, coverage, employer, and registration. So as a worker under the Workers' Compensation Act of BC, you are automatically covered in the case of work-caused injury or disease. So that covers your wage loss, disability payments, and healthcare costs. Uh, wage loss payments start on the first full day of work lost, and the current maximum wage rate uh, for 2020 is about $87,000. Now, employers or industry, so employers fund the system and are protected from lawsuits under the Workers' Compensation Act of BC. And physicians may either um, may be either required or eligible to register with WorkSafe BC and then pay premiums based on payroll. So, for example, I'll get into this a little bit more in detail. Uh, your corporation is required to register as an employer, and you, therefore, are a worker of your incorporation and would therefore be covered. So, 94% of BC, BC's employed population is covered by WorkSafe BC. And where do physicians fit in here? So, it's not always obvious if you are automatically covered as a worker in case of occupational injury disease. You may be covered by your business. Um, but it depends on the type of business that you operate. Uh, there are many models, so such as incorporation, service contract, partnership, or individual proprietor. Uh, it also depends on whether you operate a business at all. And of course, they were referring to the fact of whether you're a salaried employee and, and are making a salary and receiving a T4 slip, basically, uh, for your work and are already covered. However, if you're not already automatically covered as a worker, there is a way to get coverage, which we'll talk a little bit about today. So how do you, the, the questions that often come up for physicians is whether you, how to know whether you are covered as a worker. Um, and this falls into three categories. Any work that is salaried, which I referred to already, so you're receiving a T4 slip, that portion of your work 
it means that you are covered and considered a worker for that portion of your work. And it, that also follows that for that portion of your work, you can't uh, register as an employer. Uh, for your incorporated physicians, you must register as an employer and are considered, again, a worker of your own incorporation and therefore are covered. Uh, and uh, as an incorporation, you're required to register. There are some rare exceptions, and if you, during the question and answer period, if you have any specific questions, please feel free to raise them, and Andrew will be uh, available to answer those. Uh, for those who are considered independent operators, you're not covered unless you purchase personal option protection, or POP, and actually WorkSafeBC prioritizes applications for personal, for POP if you are um, not otherwise covered. How do you do this, and how do you, what kind of, how do you, where do you find the information to find out if you uh, are, how to get coverage as a worker, and also to determine whether you are required to register as an employer? So you would want to contact the WorkSafeBC's Employer Service Center, and you can either do that via a link. Um, you can that the link is there, but you can also just Google um, WorkSafeBC Personal Optional Protection or WorkSafeBC Employer Service Center, and you'll come to the same link. Uh, the phone number is 1-88-922-2768. Just to note that under COVID-19, WorkSafeBC is prioritizing the medical professional applications. Um, and another note to, is that uh, the Employer Service Center actually can't adjudicate your status as to whether you're uh, you know, on a worker or an employer over the phone, but will guide you through the steps uh, which, uh, that you need to take in order to do so. Uh, if you Google that link, this is the form that you'll come to. You uh, fill in the information, and you just click Submit, and it's sent into WorkSafeBC. So just a note, and we'll develop this concept further through the talk, that if, where a physician is an employer, there are occupational health and safety obligations to those who work for you. So employers need to develop a plan that reduces the risk of exposure. And here we're talking, for example, about COVID-19. Um, and in high level, uh, that plan needs to address how your workplace is organized and arranged, uh, specific, uh, um, address specific activities and how they are carried out, how you clean and sanitize, and uh, changes in precautions um, will have to be, you know, in the plan. They uh, have to show that to be communicated to everyone in your workplace. And information about that is on our WorkSafeBC.com, particularly related to COVID. There's a new site called Returning Safe Operations. And now I'll turn it over to Jacqueline Holmes. Great. Good afternoon or good evening, everyone. My name is Jacqueline Holmes, and I'm a prevention manager at WorkSafeBC. Um, I'm also the manager of interest for healthcare and the healthcare high-risk strategy, and um, I've been very busy with COVID-19 activities at WorkSafe, and I'm pleased to be here to present along with uh, Brenda and Olivia. And um, for the disclosure, I have nothing to disclose. Uh, so I'll start off with a little bit about high level about who we are. Um, many of you may have never seen us. Out, uh, out inspecting, as we do. Um, and so I just want to give you a, a bit of information about us, what we do, um, and what we've been doing um, since COVID first became a real reality for us here in Canada and then BC, and uh, what we're also doing for uh, the, the reopening of, of businesses who have been closed, and also expansion of essential services, and that would uh, really apply to yourselves. So uh, we are basically a statutory agency mandated by the BC government. We were formed in 1917 and were first called the Workman's Compensation Board. Uh, that was later changed to the Workers' Compensation Board. 
And about 15 years ago, we rebranded to WorkSafe BC. Uh, calling us WorkSafe BC, we're still workers' compensation, but to talk about WorkSafe is probably a better way to get in front of things, in front of injuries and death versus after the fact with compensation. Um, we include uh, claims prevention and assessments, and we are different than the rest of Canada in the way that um, uh, the enforcement, the inspectorate, which is prevention, in other provinces are separate from workers' compensation boards. Um, and uh, that's just the way they're, they're formed. But we have the advantage where we're all under one employer because we have ready access to claims information. And that can actually help direct us in, in areas where we're maybe missing the mark on where workers are getting injured and killed. So uh, we are very involved with our claims folks. Uh, to, to see how we can make a difference in, in the, um, the claims uh, and the injuries and, and deaths around the province. Um, we also write and enforce the Workers' Compensation Act and the Occupational Health and Safety Regulation. Next slide, please. Uh, so this is just a snapshot of our three lines of business, um, prevention, insurance, and claims. And um, as I mentioned, prevention, we're the, we're the inspectorate. And uh, we also have an education and consultation hat that we also wear as inspectors. So we're, we're health and safety inspectors. And, and how we conduct that work is through um, a consultation uh, type of approach, although we do have um, the uh, ability and the powers to shut down workplaces in very extreme, extreme circumstances, fine employers, and, um, and create uh, orders, which are instructions to correct their health and safety violations. Um, typically in a year, we would uh, uh, conduct uh, more than 40,000 inspections, and we, uh, we uh, try to um, access or try to enter as uh, many workplaces as we can but we are really risk-based mostly. That's why you probably wouldn't see us. Um, and then in, in the insurance side, we're the sole insurer of workers' compensation in British Columbia. Uh, we are employer-funded, uh, which means that the employers are levied according to their industry group and the risk groups. And you'll see the numbers there, many workers covered. And then, of course, claims that it's the back end of injury where we are striving to get workers back to their pre-injury status as much as we can and uh, support them in those efforts. Next slide. So, so getting down to prevention, the inspectorate, um, there's a few arms within ourselves. So we, we're, we have prevention services and consultation and education. And, and these are uh, folks in our, in our uh, department who do a lot of outreach. So you'll see us in trade shows. Uh, you'll, you'll see us out uh, engaging with high schools, uh, talking to um, uh, young adults as they, they move into the workforce. And then uh, one of the areas that we're active in is the fatal and serious injury investigation. You'll see us on the news in our high-vis vests uh, after uh, fatalities. You would have seen us with the mill explosions. And those are very high-profile events where we're very front and center. And strategic engagements, those are uh, uh, some of our people who are involved with very large, uh, very large employers who require a lot of assistance with their claims costs and so on. Next slide, please. 
What we do, I mentioned enforcement and consultation, education and outreach, and we also investigate incidents. And uh, that's really um, it in a nutshell. Um, and and well, actually, we might as well go to the next slide because I think this will this will help explain. Um, so we have what's called high risk strategies and also initiatives. And and this is why um, you may not have seen us because we tend to focus a lot of our efforts in those industries where workers are seriously injured or killed. But you'll notice on this slide that healthcare is there, and uh, there are. Uh, Given that about 11% of our province is employed in this industry, that's a lot of workers in the province, and the risks in healthcare tend to be around violence, musculoskeletal injuries, and we really do look at employer internal responsibility systems. So we're very involved with healthcare as well as the other, the other uh, three high-risk strategies. Next slide, please. Uh, now this particular one, initiative. So what is an initiative? So WorkSafe BC is, is uh, tasked with uh, going where the risks are. Uh, we are very involved in looking around the world to see what's happening. With COVID, we were um, watching what was happening in China, watching as it was moving along and as it was coming to Canada. And we're getting ourselves ready for what this could mean for us. Um, and uh, so that was one of the, the things we were very involved really from about January forward. Um, we've got three initiatives here that we've uh, highlighted in red font. And the reason for that is um, why would this slide matter to you? Uh, all of these things you'll see, these topics are, are more process uh, manufacturing and heavy duty work. Um, but bullying, harassment and discrimination under the Act, small business and psychological safety, these are kinds of things that could be uh, could enter your workplace. So we did highlight those because you don't often see us, but you may see us for one of these things that, that uh, are reported to us. And we may come to your office, but generally speaking, um, if everything is going along and we don't hear from you, you don't generally uh, hear from us. And that is not to say that you don't matter to us because you do. Uh, you are covered uh, as uh, workplaces. Uh, provincial workplaces in BC and the Health and Safety Regulation and Workers' Compensation Act does also apply to you. Next slide. Uh, this is just a slide on accessing some of our um, services. I don't know, I, I'm sure some of you have been on WorkSafeBC.com, especially recently, looking for, for some guidance. I know we've had a lot of questions. There is guidance coming. Now, that is good news. There is guidance coming uh, from um, your college. There will be guidance uh, posted uh, shortly on our uh, website. So stay tuned for that. So uh, you, will, you will see a lot more in the coming days. Next slide. Okay, so um, with COVID, um, what we've been doing uh, since really end of February, early March, uh, we have um, actioned our officers, our prevention officers, um, to connect in with workplaces, essential service workplaces, uh, to understand what they are doing to protect their workers. Uh, and as Olivia had mentioned on a previous slide, employers have responsibilities 
And um, you as employers do have responsibilities to protect your workers, and your workers also have responsibilities to follow your safe work practices that you put in place. So really the responsibilities are on everyone. Uh, so we uh, have gone out. We've asked uh, employers what they're doing uh, in terms of uh, controls to uh, protect workers from exposure to COVID-19. Initially, COVID-19 was more out in the community, but as it starts to enter workplaces, we become more and more involved. And uh, we're asking employers if they have the elements of an exposure control plan. And that's going to come up a little bit later in the slide deck. Exposure control plan is a term that we use uh, at WorkSafeBC. It's regulatory language, and um, it's found in two sections pertaining to what we, what we would uh, link to COVID-19. We do not have specific pandemic regulation currently. Uh, that's not to say we wouldn't look at that for future when we're doing lessons learned down the road. Um, but exposure control plan, we're really looking at the elements of a pandemic plan, the elements of infection control procedures and processes, and how workers are being uh, educated on those and supervised to ensure that they comply with, with those processes. So uh, we have been out since uh, February, and we are now turning our minds to um, the recent announcement about uh, safe operations and businesses opening. As you know, um, businesses are excited to open. Uh, a lot of folks out there are making plans, and it is also our business to be out there just ensuring that they have safe work plans, that they're developing them, and they're providing them um, available to their workers and educating their workers. So we are very involved in the restart plan. So part of that is connecting in with industry groups to find out what they're doing. And we are basically reviewing a compilation of documents. It's a very busy times for us right now. And pulling out what people are doing uh, and posting on our website guidance on best practices and connecting uh, those documents also to very important links to the BCCDC and um, public health, which are where the uh, PHO orders and guidance also lives and, uh, and where we, we do refer to those. So uh, we are providing more and more guidance to employers. We, they will be posted. Uh, our website is, is live and every day we'll be posting more and more and you can expect to see more for your group. Uh, and, of course, uh, the collaboration with respective colleges um, in, in, in your, um, for your industry, we are doing that as well. Um, we, we need to tell you that we, WorkSafe BC uh, is um, very involved. We have regulation. We have our own regulation. We have our own mandate. Uh, we're, we're coming up against Public Health Act and um, other jurisdictions. So we're all working together to really uh, make sure that our message is consistent, it's, it's evidence-based, it's the right message uh, at the right time, and uh, we're also very involved with the ministry as well. So we're making sure that all the right people are connected because we really do want to support businesses as they open and expand, and we want to support employers 
because they have a lot of questions about how to support their workers and also keep their businesses alive. So um, more guidance coming shortly. Next slide. Um, we thought we'd uh, include this slide because the hierarchy of controls, this again is another regulatory uh, term. And really, this is in, in all areas of risk, we always look at this um, from a prevention perspective. Elimination and substitution, these are things you're already doing. You're having folks work from home, um, engineering, uh, physical barriers, uh, plexiglass, those types of things, um, and administrating, administrative cleaning and disinfecting, and PPE, gloves, masks, and other things such as gowns and so on. So the hierarchy of, con of control it really looks at um, if you're looking to protect yourselves and your workers, um, you're looking at the most effective to the least effective. So, um, and that's that's kind of the the mindset that um, we would like employers to have. And sometimes elimination or substitution is not possible. So then you go to engineering and see how possible that is, and then move on. Uh, so these are all areas that um, I'm pretty positive that you're all doing all of these. So you're in phase one, so you're you're doing um, a combination of these things. Next. All right, so uh, just a snapshot of um, a couple of links and the phone numbers that are very important. Um, so we have online resources, and uh, these are uh, different links, and they will, they will be updated continuously. We also have a prevention information line, and that's a very important uh, resource for you. If you have any questions and would like to speak to a prevention officer, um, and uh, even if that prevention officer doesn't have the answers, we'll certainly direct you to, to a resource or a person to answer your question. Uh, and then that's uh, available to anyone in the province to call in. We currently have, um, at one point, we had up to 20 officers on the phone. We had a lot of, um, um, yeah, thank you, um, Dr. Hobson. We'll, We'll get to that when Brenda uh, Brenda speaks on the, the office safety. Uh, so these are the numbers, um, and uh, you'll obviously be given this uh, slide deck so you can definitely access these. Next slide, please. And uh, this is an, a slide for claims. Uh, we are quite active in the claims area. Uh, any uh, any workers who've uh, been exposed at work uh, may um, initiate a claim, and uh, each claim is adjudicated on its, uh, on its own merit, uh, depending on the evidence. But we do have our claims uh, numbers, and we have claims questions as well in FAQ if you have any questions. And this is maybe particular to your patients or maybe even to your staff. Next slide. A little bit on mental health. We understand that these are really, really stressful times for everyone. Um, and we, we've, um, as uh, um, Dr. Hobson has, had mentioned earlier, uh, that there are resources out there. And uh, we, are, we are quite um, concerned about um, how people are doing and that they're, how they're managing. 
And this is something that we never want to leave out is, uh, you know, how, how would you um, help you and your workers cope? Because there's going to be a lot of stressors, especially if you're opening up services and maybe even bringing back some workers who have been at home. Um, this may be very stressful for them. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. So, uh, to, uh, Olivia, again, I'm just going to do uh, talk for a little bit more before we turn the presentation over to Dr. Hardy. So, this section is uh, COVID-19, looking at staff, self, and office safety, and infection control and prevention. Um, and uh, so, we all know this is a little refresher that COVID-19, motor transmission, contact or droplet, uh, foam and fomites. But we do know that um, it is COVID-19 is primarily uh, spread through droplets. Uh, why do we talk about contact and droplet precautions? Um, this is really speaks to uh, um, that are required because of the way that uh, this particular pathogen is transmitted. So again, you all know this, but just a quick overview that is transmitted via liquid droplets when the person coughs or sneezes, uh, can enter through the eyes, nose, or mouth at close contact, being defined as less than two meters or six feet. Uh, from a person who has coughed or sneezed or is sick, um, and that the virus can also be transmitted from touching um, one's eyes, mouth, or nose with unwashed hands. So again, the importance of regular hand hygiene, um, and it also again the importance of distancing and why we the message of, of, of keeping you know within two meters of an individual who is sick is what you've been hearing lots of over the last several weeks. Um, again, all of this information is on the BCCDC website. The recommendations to consult that regularly. I also just wanted to make a little note. Jack presented the hierarchy of controls, um, which is sort of a standard hierarchy of controls we apply to all workplaces. We're talking about COVID-19. PPE for healthcare workers is actually quite effective. So, I mean, of course, we would all, you know, there are, it has to be sort of sort of contextualized. Of course, we can't uh, do all our primary care work remotely, but. Um, we do know that sort of in the grand scheme of things, we're talking about other workplaces that uh, PPE is the least effective. But for COVID-19, we know that in the healthcare setting, PPE is quite effective. Now, what I've uh, also just wanted to put a note uh, here, too, is also just a reminder to, again, consult the uh, guidance documents on the BCCDC website. You can actually just Google, uh, click in uh, or, or, or write in new today for health professionals and clinical resources at BCCDC. Um, and the PPE uh, current guidance, um, after, of course, one has done a risk assessment, and of course, not forgetting about regular hand hygiene, um, is that for uh, contact doing uh, for direct patient care, uh, so less than two meters, um, that the PPE is a procedure mask, glove, face shield, or eye protection, and then plus or minor, uh, minus a gown, depending on uh, whether the patient has COVID-like symptoms or respiratory-like symptoms. Um, and just another reminder that for aerosol-generating medical procedures, that's when we talk about N95 respirator, and then the gloves, the face shield, eye protection, and also the gown. So Jacqueline um, referred to the exposure control plan in primary care. Um, and what does it mean? What are the tenets of an uh, exposure control plan? So this is just very high level, and Dr. Hardy will get into sort of more the operationalized aspects of what this can look like. So um, in developing one's written plan, these are the six tenets that one must think about. Assessing the risk at your workplace, implementing measures to reduce the risk, 
that is cleaning and hygiene, maintaining physical distance, those two meters, where physical distance cannot be maintained, thinking about mitigating strategies, PPE barriers, um, developing policies, developing communication plans and training, and revisiting those communication plans and training on an ongoing basis. Uh, monitoring, monitoring your workplace and updating your plans as needed as, as, um, as the situation changes. Again, just another reminder to constantly, um, to regularly, sorry, check the CDC website um, and also the Work CDC website. Um, and then six, to assess and address risks um, upon resuming operations. And now, uh, Dr. Brenda Hardy is going to Thanks, Olivia. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm a family physician in Vancouver, and um, the way I'm connected with WorkSafe is that I uh, consult for the Physician Education Initiatives Committee, and my role on that committee is to be a regular family doctor and um, provide input uh, to the committee for various education initiatives, essentially to say if this sounds like something that's relevant to me and my colleagues as a family doctor and to try to keep um, that work uh, useful and relevant. Um, and also, um, I do work for UBC in the Family Practice Residency Program in education, so I have a little bit of education um, background from that. I'm the Director of Faculty Development, um, helping family doctors uh, and supporting them in their teaching of family practice residents uh, across the province. Um, and I don't have any conflicts of interest to declare for this presentation. Uh, this is a picture of my waiting room before pandemic was declared, but after the first message we got through the college from Dr. Henry uh, saying that we should make some changes and that we were going to be um, receiving patients in our offices to do uh, COVID testing, COVID assessments, COVID swabs. Uh, my waiting room now is empty. There are no chairs in it at all. You could see at that time we had spaced them apart a little bit. There are no magazines or books or anything around, and it's looking pretty empty because actually we also didn't have a whole lot of patients uh, coming in after a while as well. Um, the story that goes behind that is that I was a patient at my family doctor's clinic in North Vancouver, my office is in Vancouver, um, I broke my wrist and I had to go in and get follow-up and um, it was the day after the information that came out from Dr. Henry about all the changes we were to make and her office um, was completely different and they had all these really interesting procedures in place trying to screen people for COVID at the door and um, I had a tour of the clinic and all of the changes that they had made uh, and it really jolted me to become a little bit more serious about the changes that we were making in our clinic. And I'll tell you what made it different for me. Uh, she said, you know that message from Dr. Henry? Word for word from the BC CDC pandemic planning guide. Pull out your checklist and have a look. So that checklist is still on the website. It's the Influenza Pandemic Planning Guide and Checklist. It was posted, I believe, in 2012. Uh, it came out of SARS and uh, Ontario, um, and it is still currently in use at the BCCDC, and in fact, a lot of the guidelines that are coming out are, are, are straight out of that document, and I found it super helpful because it is actually a checklist on one page. Um, so what we were able to do was to walk through that and say, well, what can we do right away? Um, so separating our chairs was one of those things. There are other drawings in that plan and uh, tips for making space. 
Um, but there were some, you know, I guess we call them low-hanging fruit, things that we could grab on and do um, right away. So um, next slide. This is what we have found in summary of working through that pandemic um, planning guide. Um, the things that we think in our clinic and actually in talking to a bunch of other clinic operators and directors, uh, the things that we think have worked for us. So the first part is to know the standards. In this case, at the beginning, we're using that guide and we're still using it, but um, we there is no substitute for having to look those up and reading them. I really wish there was a shortcut, but it, it doesn't exist. Um, you have to pull on all of your resources as a lifelong learner um, and access that information and read it and learn it. Um, you also have to check back often because it, it might, the goalposts might shift a little bit, especially with respect to the BC CDC guidelines. Um, but I will say the elements in that pandemic planning guide have remained, remained relatively um, stable and um, still relevant. Definitely a key learning is that I've learned from my peers, being able to see other clinics, to see what they were doing when we could go in in person. Now I've got a couple of uh, social media groups uh, on Facebook and uh, WhatsApp and uh, talk very regularly to other, other docs doing the same things. And I have learned so many tips from them. And we're going to do a little bit of that tonight with this group. Um, we find that what's been successful is we have made multiple small manageable changes uh, with our entire team. There are eight docs, two nurse practitioners, uh, six MOAs at my clinic, and we have to get everybody on board because before we can really make a shift. Um, and we make a small change. We see how it goes for a day or a week or two weeks if we've got it, and then reflect back and say, how did that go? Uh, let's, um, let's make a, uh, an assessment and then um, continue on. Uh, we also have to have a lot of communication, a lot of education with our staff, and we have to check in very often to make sure um, that everyone understands, because we did find that some things would drift. We would make a change, and a couple days later, people were doing something differently. So this uh, continuous loop of education was uh, really quite key. Uh, next slide. Do you have the next slide, Olivia? So thanks. Uh, so just to come back to this, um, I'm not a WorkSafe expert. Uh, sorry, can you go back to the hierarchy? Um, the, the purpose of the hierarchy is, again, to, to remind you that um, the most effective to least effective is really quite important and that you really need to start from the elimination because you can't really um, be as effective with a lot of the other uh, elements and that I actually have found this kind of to be a useful um, kind of tool to organize the kinds of things that we're doing and uh, make sure that we're starting with the most effective, which is to get everybody out of the office um, as we were directed to do, and then to work on the physical barriers, um, which is much, much more effective than some of the administrative uh, or policy type things. So next slide. Um, what I would be, uh, I will just pause here actually. We're just gonna use the Slido for a minute and we've got a question uh, on the Slido that is a text question where you can text in. So actually, I think, Olivia, it might be more helpful if you go back to the hierarchy. The question is really, what are some of the changes that either you have made or that you've heard of 
um, in various clinics that have targeted any one of these areas, whether it's the elimination or the engineering, physical barriers, for example, administrative um, or PPE. If you could enter those into the Slido, and in particular, if you think it was something that was quite clever or innovative or that you learned from someone else. And, and our goal in this is at the end of the presentation, we're actually going to crowdsource a whole bunch of um, ideas uh, to share with everyone um, about ways that you can make changes in your clinic. While you are um, entering those, Again, we can go ahead now and advance the next slide. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of some of the things that we, we have done. So in terms of uh, working from home, we did have to be a little bit flexible and allow some people actually to work in an exam room because they're not able to work from home, having small children or no space um, in their place, too many roommates. Uh, so despite trying to keep everybody out, we have had to uh, figure out ways of allowing some people back in. We only have one doc or nurse assigned for same-day patients for our whole clinic. We've had to work much more um, collaboratively as a network so that we only have one doc in uh, at a time and um, taking uh, same-day visits uh, if we have them, which are very, very rare. Some days we'll have two or three, um, but uh, definitely shifting our usual practice quite dramatically um, so that we were reducing the number of people in the clinic. Um, you may have seen the essential services in primary care. There's a link there. It looks like this. This is not the whole document. Uh, BC Family Doctors uh, posted it on their website, and they've got it in a, a nice format, priority A, priority B, and C. This is what uh, we are, quote, unquote, allowed to do during the pandemic. This comes from that same BC influenza pandemic planning guide from 2012. It's the exact same wording, they put it in a very nice uh, format, um, maybe a little bit easier to read, um, and once again found that that uh, guide has been extremely helpful. But we will need to check back because phase two is coming and this may change. But just to remind you, it hasn't changed. And until it changes, this is what you're allowed to do, and you can refer back to this uh, document. Now, I've got suggestions for how it could be written a little bit better and be a little more clear. Uh, but this is our current guiding document that does come essentially from BC and CDC. Next slide. Uh, you might need to click again. I'm not sure you've got, uh, there we go. So engineering and tools, these are some of the things that we, uh, I added the tools part. These are things we had to either procure or get rid of. They're kind of uh, um, hard artifacts and or electronic artifacts that we needed to, to gather together. So no more waiting room chairs. We actually moved them and put them in front of our reception area. So if anyone came in, it created a barrier so they couldn't get close to our staff. Plexiglass uh, actually got installed today. So we can move those chairs out from in front. And um, it's a little bit uh, more personable than a, a barrier in front of the, the desk. Um, we found because of the use of PPE, for example, we needed to get larger bins in the exam room. We didn't have room for all those uh, yellow uh, gowns that were going in the garbage. Uh, and we didn't want to shove them into a small garbage can uh, because that would be puffing um, possibly infected air up into our faces. So we did have to do simple things like getting bins, extra cleaning supplies. And then, of course, um, shifting to virtual because number one was keeping people out of the clinic. That's been a bit of a, a bit of work, a lot of expense, uh, but we, we have made the shift uh, to get a virtual care platform and an e and 
uh, the doctor's technology office has been extremely helpful uh, in that um, process for sure. And um, uh, we've also changed a little bit the way we communicate, so we did need to get some more uh, tools for that for communicating with our staff because we're not all in the same place, so using WhatsApp for staff and MailChimp for mass uh, emails. Uh, okay, next slide. In terms of the administrative processes, um, we don't allow our patients anymore to book in-person visits. Only the doctors or nurses can book them, but they are allowed to book online and uh, virtual visits. Um, we are doing most of our visits as a two-part. If you can't complete it all, then we um, shift to uh, uh, the in-person visit. So we definitely have been doing, like even for well baby uh, immunizations, we do everything first on the phone and then we quickly bring them in, do the shots and send them out and then we finish the conversation on the phone. Uh, so we've definitely changed the way that we do things, cohorting patients so that um, uh, they're all clustered together so we're not burning through a lot of PPE. Uh, next slide. PPE, I do want to talk about for a minute uh, because it's such a hot topic. Um, personally, in our that's me, um, the top left, uh, we are getting um, washable gowns because we don't like being um, dependent on the disposable gowns. They're hard to get. They create a lot of garbage. Um, it is a big expense, but we've opted to go with uh, washable gowns, and they've been tricky to source, but we've we've had some luck. I would just say in terms of sourcing PPE, um, definitely start with the health authority if you can. Uh, number two would be your divisions. The divisions have been out, uh, really quite helpful in procuring PPE, usually through the health authority. They've been um, advocating and, and getting access to PPE. Keep using your regular channels. We continue to, every once in a while, get an order actually show up uh, from a couple of months ago through our usual channels, so don't give up. Last resort is uh, 3D printed and donated uh, items, but you need to be very cautious about the safety of those. Health authorities actually can help you to be certain those are uh, acceptable. Donning and doffing we are not going to cover, but it is critical that you use it appropriately. And my only lesson from that is that we watch each other when we are in the clinic or we have an MOA watch to give us tips and give us feedback. Next slide. The next slide is about clean, uh, clean, what to wear to the clinic. Uh, this is actually a really handy tool. Uh, I won't read through it, but it does give you really clear guidelines of how to keep yourself, and I think this kind of comes to keeping your family safe in terms of um, changing your clothes, how to put them in a bag and bring them home, leaving your shoes at work. Um, so you'll have access to the full description on how you can do this safely, and we've all adopted this uh, set of guidelines at our clinic. Next slide. Uh, to talk about cleaning, I think this is really stressing us out. This is my current area of learning. In preparing for this um, webinar, I learned so much from uh, both Olivia and Jackie about what I don't know, and uh, we're probably not quite up to snuff yet in terms of um, having um, really good procedures in place. But these are straight from BCCDC, and yes, we do do this between every patient. We do clean the stethoscope, blood pressure cuffs, otoscope, scales, et cetera. Um, so we are following these guidelines, frequently touch surfaces twice a day. Uh, I don't think there's a substitute 
uh, for this. I think these are the guidelines and we need to figure out how to make that work in our own uh, practices. Next slide. Unfortunately, the BDCDC will not tell you what product, but they've got this handy guide with a couple of names and the DIN numbers. What, what we did to make this easy was we just pulled out what we had and what we used, and we checked against these to say, do they work? So we use a very popular wipe uh, that is uh, seen in a lot of clinics, and we were happy to find out that it meets these uh, criteria, and we've continued to use that. I lived through SARS in Northern Ontario in 2003. Um, we were given advice not to spray anything on surfaces. I've not read that here, but we're continuing to do that in our clinic and instead using wipes or liquid on a, a disposable cloth. I don't think you can go wrong if you stick with that. And there are um, clear WIMIS uh, guidelines. This is the part where I'm, I'm a little bit stuck. I don't think we've done good um, documentation or education, and that's going to be part of our plan going forward, is to improve on that. And even though Jackie's the police, she didn't freak out and come and give me a ticket at my office when I told her I didn't have a women's plan for cleaning supplies. Uh, so don't be afraid to call or talk to WorkSafe because they're extremely helpful. They're kind of nice, like Dr. Henry. They just want everyone to do better, and they, they just want to know your story and see how they can help. So. Uh, don't be afraid to give them a call if you're really stuck. Uh, secondly, there is going to be another webinar from public health point of view that may be able to answer some of your more detailed and specific questions about recommendations that come from uh, a public health. In the meantime, you can use these uh, WorkSafe um, links that we, we've got and the BCCDC guidelines on, on how to clean. Bad news is you, you have to clean a lot and you have to wipe stuff down a lot and it takes a lot of time. It's working right now because we don't have a lot of patients, but I'm not sure how we're going to make this work once things uh, get wrapped up, but we will need to figure it out. Uh, next slide. Uh, just a, a reminder that you also need to clean your face shields or goggles, and there are guidelines on how to do that, and they differ depending on what items you use. So this was a new learning point for me. Guidelines have very clear guidelines um, if you're headpiece has foam or doesn't have foam. Uh, there are different ways to clean glasses. Um, one thought is to have everyone have their own and have them train on how to clean it and take care of it, um, rather than having the clinic do it uh, for the entire clinic. And that certainly is a doable thing. Of course, still everyone needs to be trained and learn, um, or you need to have some really clear policies. Next slide. Uh, I think this is my last uh, point, which is just about communication. Um, a couple of things. One is to use the existing expertise. So we were spending at the beginning an hour to two hours every night combing the literature, reading guidelines, seeing what had changed. We now have shifted to using the division in Vancouver, our division, uh, I'm on the board of the division, um, is sending out updates. And we they've been curating the list of changes. And once we found it to be um, accurate and dependable, we stopped doing our own and started shifting to using that, and that's been a huge time saver for us. Your division may or may not be providing that service, but that has really um, eased uh, the pressure on us quite a bit, and we do get a daily update. Similarly, these beautiful signs that we had on the front door saying, if you're coughing or sneezing, don't come in, uh, we, we just pulled those off the web. We didn't make any of these up ourselves. So we, we didn't make anything up ourselves. We pretty much stole everything. It, it's out there, there's posters, um, videos, you don't have to make these yourselves. Um, 
But what we did find is we had to keep care of our curated collection and make sure we removed things that were old so that we um, were keeping everyone current um, and checking in. Uh, a little plug for PSP, um, there is some funding to help you as you make quality improvement initiatives in your office. We're all making changes and PSP can guide you to do that well. There's funding for your time, there's funding for your staff time. So that's the physician support program. Reach out to them because they can uh, not only help you do a good job, but also help to pay you for your time, which, um, which is fantastic. Uh, last bit, bit for communication in our clinic is we figured out we've had to keep it social. We had all this tech information going back and forth and what swabs to use and what PPE to wear. And um, it, it kind of was killing the, the things that we liked about our work. So we have uh, also purposely made sure our communications are social. I'll give you one small example. We always have cake on somebody's birthday. Uh, so instead what we did was we ordered food delivered to people's houses and, and had a, a virtual birthday party. So um, we want to be able to make sure people are still connected they're also more likely to keep reading what you send them. I think that's it for me, huh? Oh, yeah, slide poll. So um, what we'd like you to do is to have a look at this poll. This is to go back to the um, initial learning point that we made uh, from our clinic, which is um, know the standards and check them often, learning from your peers, making small cycles of change, educating and communicating regular, regularly. The question is, which of these actions do you think for you, your clinic, your space, that you need to commit to, to uh, moving ahead in um, making your clinic safe for you, your staff, and your patients? And we'll come back to the uh, poll results in a few minutes. Next slide. I'm very conscious of the time. Hi, I'm back. Uh, very conscious of the time here. And we're nearing the end, and we will have time for questions. But we just wanted to wrap up with a couple of quick slides uh, about workers in your practice and safety in the workplace. And um, this is going to be top of mind for you. Um, and um, you know, we we want to uh, you know assist you in in how you think about this uh, in the workplace uh, and some of the things that you could come up against. Uh, and next slide, please. Olivia, yeah, that's great. Um, so what you've heard are, are um, some ways uh, to organize your, your, um, your clinics. And you've heard a little bit about the regulator and what we do and what we expect. Um, and uh, there's something that um, we talked about that, that you should know about that, um, and this may come to you either from your workers or from your patients who come in to see you um, about concerns about people returning to work. You may have patients who come through who are stressed out and um, have been off and they're scared to go back to work. Now, um, every worker in this province has a right to refuse unsafe work, what they believe in is unsafe work, because that is very subjective, but it is a real fear for them. And there is a process uh, within the guideline, 3.12 of the guideline that, that is uh, within found in the regulation, um, that they do have a, a right to refuse if they believe it presents a hazard. And uh, there is a process for that to report to the employer. And then say it comes to your, say it's one, one of your staff, that you would uh, be obligated to 
investigate that and see what their concerns are and if you can resolve them. Quite often, an, an unsafe work uh, refusal would be, um, could be corrected with more education for, for a worker, um, perhaps PPE for a worker, um, training. Um, but there is a process and uh, you need to know about it because you could have, uh, typically I, I would think it would be more around patients that may come to you and, um, and that uh, process is found uh, step by step on our guideline and we do provide the links um, on the resources there as well. So uh, if the matter is not resolved and the worker still is refusing and the employer is sticking to their guns saying it's safe and the worker saying it's not safe, then WorkSafe BC needs to be called and an officer will be dispatched to the workplace and will make the determination if it's an undue hazard or not. Uh, in the case of COVID, um, it's interesting because our officers are not medical people. And, you know, we have talked to Olivia about this as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we do have medical advisors at WorkSafe BC who we would, we would also um, connect in with on those, those types of, of issues. So uh, next slide, please. And uh, here is just a little bit around um, WorkSafe BC and some of our uh, return to safe operations. That's a web page. And again, uh, just pointing you to our web page for updates. Next slide, please. We're just finishing off here. And again, I just want to um, remind that uh, the unsafe work, the work refusals is often connected in with, with uh, uh, people feeling very stressed out about returning to work. And again, uh, mental health um, and uh, is all about psychological safety. There's a lot more of it right now. And, um, you know, this, this will also be top of mind for yourself. Next slide, please. All right, Olivia. So uh, coming to the end of our presentation, so hopefully you can now describe healthcare professionals as workers and or employers under the Act, under the Workers' Compensation Act of BC, and know how to be sure that you are covered. To identify ways in which WorkSafe BC can support uh, you in primary care. Uh, to identify and review office-based strategies to prevent or limit transmission of COVID-19. Um, and strategies for ongoing learning and communicating those strategies in your workplace and uh, with the um, goal of keeping yourself, your staff, and, um, and your patients safe. And also to describe um, an approach to addressing COVID-related uh, workplace concerns that patients may have, where the resources are, how to have a conversation around their workplace. If you don't know their workplace, um, there's great guidelines depending on different sites um, uh, related to that. And for example, um, on the BCCDC site, just some recent sector guidance are, uh, are now there for uh, work camps, farm and farm workers, for the hotel sector, for industrial camps, uh, retail food at grocery stores. It's, it might be uh, fun for you to kind of familiarize yourself with some of those guidance documents and, and also to help direct your patients to those uh, guidance documents as well. And of course, the Works APC will have links to those. They'll link back and forth. Okay. And now we're going to show the Slido poll results. And just while you're doing that, um, I want to acknowledge that we are at 8 o'clock. Um, the panel has graciously um, 
agreed to stay on and answer questions. And we have a lot of questions from you, some really interesting ones. Um, certainly, there's been a desire um, to have some more granularity and some more details, which we'll go into. Um, and uh, so any of you that do have to sign off, thank you for being here tonight. There will be a, a summary of this webinar, as well as uh, a recording of the full webinar and questions and answers if you do have to leave and can't come back. Um, but uh, we do have another 30 minutes uh, that we can uh, stay and answer your questions. Um, so I'll let you get the slide results up um, if they will, and if they won't. <laughs> we can just go to questions. We'll go to the questions. Question. Yeah. And I'll yeah. just okay. mention here, these are the resources at the end, and those are um, about three slides of resources. Perfect. So all these slides will also be available uh, for people to look at as well. And I, yeah. I think my takeaway from tonight is that this is uh, complex. Uh, it is complicated. It is time-consuming. Thank you, Brenda, for describing that. And uh, you're not in this alone. Uh, there are many places to go for uh, resources. Uh, first and closest to home is your Division of Family Practice. And even if you are a community specialist or another healthcare worker, uh, the Divisions of Family Practice are certainly a resource to be able to get uh, some summation and uh, some recommendations, as well as Workplace, CD, uh, workplace BC um, and uh, BC CDC uh, and the College of Physicians and Surgeons. And we will be having another webinar on the 26th uh, with Dr. Bonnie Henry um, and other uh, health um, officials that will be uh, presenting uh, and answering questions on May 26th. So there are a lot of questions, um, and certainly many questions as relates to masks. You've touched on that. Um, some, though, that you haven't, and they specifically want to know about masks uh, for staff um, and for providers. So, we, of course, we understand you had that slide there for that, but also um, any recommendations or requirements for masks for patients. Okay. Um, all right, uh, so um, I, I can tackle this one. Um, so masks are in the form of PPE, so it's further down the chain in terms of controls. Uh, we get this a lot. Uh, there's, there's a fine line between wearing masks because they're required, and wearing masks to feel more comfortable, and thus having uh, an effect on the overall uh, supply, which is which is also um, something to think about. Um, wearing masks basically protects you from infecting others. Uh, however, um, that question will come up, and uh, I think you'll. Uh, get more from um, your college and from Bonnie Henry in terms of uh, guidance in those, um, those specifically. I, I did hear Bonnie Henry talk about uh, um, non-procedural masks and face coverings as well. Uh, there is a BCCDC link on that specifically, and I believe that might be on one of the links on, on the resources. So that's a really good question, and, and definitively, um, you know, 
it to make it, it may make people feel more comfortable. But again, what is the reality of the requirement to wear masks? So we would we would expect that you would be looking at the other controls in terms of the hierarchy and and screening out folks who come in who may be symptomatic because that that is your first first line of, of um, looking at triaging who comes in. There will be times when you will be um, seeing patients who may be symptomatic and may be not sick enough to go to the hospital, and you do need to, to look at them. So um, I don't know. Brenda, um, could you provide a yeah, bit more? What sure, I can tell you quickly what we've decided through yeah. the PCPDC guidelines and also VCH. Essentially, um, anytime you're within two meters of anyone, uh, in in the clinic, uh, seeing someone, you definitely need to have a mask. Um, and we are wearing masks, gloves, and eye protection for every clinical encounter. Uh, we add gowns if the person has any symptoms of COVID because that's the guidelines. And actually, since we now have washable gowns, we're adding gowns for every clinical encounter um, because of, we know that some people are infectious uh, prior uh, to having symptoms. In terms of patient masks, we ask patients when they come to wear a mask if they have one. If they have symptoms, respiratory symptoms, we give them one. If they arrive without one, we aren't requiring people to bring their own non-medical mask, but we ask them to um, more out of courtesy because we know they may need to be close to staff coming to the reception. Even though we do a plexiglass, uh, we do try to uh, just add that extra bit of barrier remembering. It's like sneezing into your elbow wearing a mask is essentially the same thing. So we're just following the guidelines. Um, I get all the controversy. I think I've read so much on this, but we uh, have settled on uh, following the current BCC DC guidelines. It's just a word. Um, sorry, just to, sorry, just to chime in as, you know, just to also a reminder to check in for guidance changes that will likely uh, follow changes in prevalence um, in BC. Yeah, and yeah I, I understand, and I, and I think that's just the challenge, that there is that difference between work-safe requirements and mm -hmm. the, um, the public health guidelines uh, that uh, are the nuance there that sometimes confuses us as, as non-work-safe DC or non-public health people. So thank you for that. Um, and I appreciate your answering those questions. Um, what about um, when we're talking, uh, and Brenda, you mentioned that, does WorkSafe have any requirements for the physical setup of the office? Um, now, you've mentioned no chairs and the spacing of chairs, but does WorkSafe actually have some requirements that you must follow? And I think one question was, what things must we do um, and what things should must or should we not do? Um, to be able to provide a safe workplace for patients and for our staff. I was just going to jump in from my perspective. I, I know that WorkSafe is not going to give me a very clear set of musts and must not do's, and that is not coming any day ever. Uh, but what WorkSafe will do is guide me through the elements of my plan, and it needs to hit all of those points that were set out earlier. Um, in the in the presentation. So I need to show that what I have done in terms of uh, elimination, not having people together, what what measures have I taken in that 
area. What measures have I taken to create barriers? What am I doing about cleaning in my clinic? What are my procedures? So they're not going to tell me exactly what I must and must not do, but mostly what I must and must not do is comply with the CDC uh, recommendations and absolutely with any public health orders. So things that come from Dr. Henry as an order, it's a, it's a non-starter, 100% that must be done. Um, and some of the things um, that, those are where the things are shifting and changing, so you have to be on it. Beyond that, um, it, I'll, I'll turn it over to the, the WorkSafe folks, but I think in general it's contextual, which is why you can't have a must and must not do, but you must reduce exposure to COVID. You must provide a safe workplace. You must um, not see patients unless it fits the current criteria for the pandemic planning guide. Uh, so there are a few of those things that we need to follow, but it won't be coming directly from WorkSafe, for example, how far apart are your chairs? It's not going to be that granular. Or whether or not you have plexiglass or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Coming from the public health. Okay. Um, um, and just just um, to to go to something that is work safe and you've touched on that. Um, there's a lot of patient requests about returning to work or getting a letter not to return to work. Uh, so there are notes for employees um, and, and we're being asked to provide these. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about um, what we should be considering uh, in those cases? Um, yeah, and that's very difficult um, for a physician to, to determine because you will get um, the voice of your patient about the workplace, what they're doing and what they're not doing. There's a lot of fear, and a lot of people don't want to go back to work. What I can tell you, what we've seen across the board in all industry, is that employers are really trying to do the right thing. They're, um, we've been to so many employers in so many different areas, everywhere from sophisticated employers to mom and pop shops. Uh, there's so much being done out there. And for a lot of workers, they may not think it's good enough. Uh, and so, you know, um, you will encounter patients who, who want, want a, a note so they, they don't go to work. Uh, and I, I don't know what the workplace is going to think about that um, because they're going to need some kind of reason, uh, not details, of course, um, but some general reason why someone cannot go, cannot go back to work. So you may see an uptick in... in um, your patients uh, implementing a or starting a mental health claim, for example, um, which then would be adjudicated if there's a psychiatrist or a psychologist involved with those cases. So those are where those types of issues will go, back, uh, go to, likely, um, but you will see them. And um, asking questions about the workplace, what do they have in place? Quite often a worker hasn't even been back yet and wants to be off work. So they really don't know what's in place. They assume what's in place and what's not in place. But I can tell you there is a lot being done out there in industry. 
I, I, I might get like for for sorry for living for family doctors. It might just be an opportunity to have a conversation to ask your patient what they're concerned about, and and sort of get and also educate oneself about well, what kind of industry is that? Is there any information I can find? Is it something we could review together? And say, oh look, these are the kind of standard approaches and policies. And then just another note that if there really does seem to be a concern, um, a physician could pick up the phone and call prevention, or yeah. encourage the worker to call prevention. I have some concerns, and then sometimes that can be reassuring where a prevention officer might go out to the work site and sort of allay yeah. any anxiety yeah. and, you know, provide reassurance. So specifically to that then, whose responsibility is it to ask the question uh, or to determine if the workplace, um, if, if there is the possibility for accommodation, uh, is that something that WorkSafe BC expects the family doctor to have done as part of the process in writing a note or uh, submitting a claim? Um, or can that be left to WorkSafe to determine? The doctor would the initiate. Yeah, the, the physician would need to initiate um, a medical note that would what, what, that would start a potential duty to accommodate. Yeah. And that note would be so the physician would have to deal with the employer rather than WorkSafe dealing with the employer. Uh, yeah, that that would start with a with a form eight to WorkSafe BC. To WorkSafe yeah, BC. Okay. For an accommodation, and then just to clarify, if there are concerns about the workplace and that uh, uh, worker says, no, I, I really don't feel that my they're doing enough in my workplace, then then it's a call to prevention, and then yeah. then the prevention would go in and could inspect the workplace to see if there were orders that needed to be written against the employer or, or improved messaging or looking at their exposure control plan, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's where we as family physicians feel stuck sometimes. We can, mm. as, a, as a questioner noted, we can provide an assessment, a medical assessment, but we can't guarantee or completely understand the working conditions right. in there. Super excited to learn about that whole work refusal uh, phone number. I didn't know that existed until I, I met with uh, my expert colleagues here. And so just knowing that's on the slide deck, people will have that phone number. Um, and and I know, uh, I mean, letting out a little work safe secret, they're learning at the same time as all of us, right? And they're ramping up their services and they're figuring this out at the same time. So um, this is new. We've not done a pandemic before. so. Uh, at WorkSafe as well, they're they're having more people available to answer those questions, but they may not have a rock-solid answer right away because we're all working through the process, but they're committed to figuring this out. And, and uh, personally, I'm not afraid uh, to pick up the, the phone and, and call uh, because um, there's no way I'm going to know about every work, workplace. Mm -hmm. it, it, just a, a very quick administrative question because I think this one is important. Um, we have family physicians in, in many roles. Um, some are the owners of a small business. Um, some are incorporated as um, self-employed, working in a clinic, but not an owner. Uh, some are, uh, are as associates under their own personal. Who needs to actually have work-safe coverage? Uh, obviously, the small business owners does, but does the um, the incorporated, self-employed, non-small business owner physician have to have WorkSafe BC coverage. Yeah, so I can, um, hi everyone, haven't <laughs> seen you here in a little while, but I can answer that one. Um, 
So absolutely, it does all depend on what type of entity you're operating, um, whether it's a physician or any type of business. As you mentioned, incorporated entities, uh, we do operate under a presumption that if you have an active corporation in BC, uh, you need to be registered with WorkSafe BC, and then as the shareholder director of that corporation, you will automatically be covered as a worker. Uh, so that is mandatory. All employers, all workers in the province do need, um, all workers need to be covered, all employers need to be registered. Um, then we get into the area of the independent operators, um, you know, where we're looking more at the specific criteria of how they operate their business. Uh, and then at that point, the coverage becomes optional. So I think that um, um, Olivia had mentioned earlier about the personal optional protection or POP coverage. Uh, so that's where that would come in. Okay, thank you. It, it, um, it, these questions about masks, and, and notes and things lead to another question about um, if you as an employee, so I am a physician um, working um, as a contractor essentially in uh, going in to see patients in residential care or in the hospital or in, in somebody else's office or as a locum, um, what rights do I have um, if I'm concerned if I'm older and uh, worried about getting exposure, if I have some chronic disease myself or immunocompromised um, or feeling uh, overburdened or stressed and not able to work. Um, how should I deal with uh, this and does WorkSafe BC uh, have a responsibility to me? Yes. <laughs> because you're a worker, which is a new concept, right? As doctors, we don't see ourselves as workers. Uh, and that's actually one of the main goals of the, uh, some of the session tonight was to help doctors to know that they are covered or need to be covered and can get coverage um, as workers and WorkSafe is there for them as workers. We tend to always keep thinking about this for our patients or other businesses um, and maybe our staff. Uh, but absolutely, WorkSafe is there for you as a worker. Now, in terms of details, I will, you know, I will pass that off in terms of if you want details on how you would connect. But uh, I think that's a criti critical point to make, and it's a real mind shift for, for some of us. I mean, even to know that it was a requirement for every corporation. I mean, I, that's something I learned. I was, like, this many years old when I learned that. And I think if you're if you are deemed, and then Andrea can 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 define that differently based on the scenarios that you mentioned there, Bruce. But if you're deemed a worker and you're not, uh, say you're doing a locum, you're not convinced that the workplace that you're working in is safe, you can call prevention. Um, you are a worker, and I think that's not something again, as uh, Brenda mentioned, that physicians necessarily identify with. Um, but that WorkSafeBC is there for for you for that as well. Yeah. Sure, fine. Only seeing patients in residential care, not doing anything else. Um, I don't actually have an employer other than what I build MSP. Am I covered by WorkSafe BC? Um, yeah, absolutely. So 
that is assuming that you're an unincorporated um, entity, say it's just you, um, you've met, you know, you're an eligible independent operator who can apply for POP or POP, um, then absolutely that's where your coverage would come in uh, for that. You'd be classified accordingly and um, then you'd have all the coverage benefits uh, that a worker would have. Okay, thank you. Um, We've had a, a, a number of questions asking about um, when can we start doing in-person procedures or, or contact with patients again. And I know that there's many offices that have not stopped doing that. Um, and I would imagine that is something that's more covered under the purview of public health and not work CC. Is that correct? Well, yes. um, as we all heard, this, sorry. I'll, just yeah. jumping quickly and then sorry to Jack, but um, the, uh, this week that, uh, you know, phase two is starting next week, Tuesday after holiday, um, and um, there is guidance coming from, every, well, I, I assume everyone on the phone is not necessarily a, a physician, but uh, so all our respected health care professional colleges, our college regulators, will have been communicating, as Jack had said, uh, with WorkSafeBC and also um, in concert with public health and guidance documents will be coming. So uh, just be in, in the coming days as, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, if not tomorrow. Any, um, does WorkSafe have any uh, recommendations around um, air exchange and ventilation, air conditioners, fans? You'd spoken about droplets, the fomites uh, and different things in there open windows for open ventilations, number of uh, minutes uh, in or between patients just to ventilate a room. Are there any work safe recommendations around that or is that all public health? Um, well, that would depend if uh, an office was conducting AGMPs or not, and that might change things a little bit if there's aerosolized procedures being conducted. Otherwise, um, a regular office scenario, I, I believe that would fall more to um, provincial guidance on that. Yeah, and then th these things could change too with prevalence, and, and we have to we have to um, keep an open mind that um, we may go forward and take two steps back as it goes, and we have to be very flexible with that because uh, we really don't know what the future looks like. Small steps. There are some guidelines in the BC CDC influenza pandemic planning guide, which actually are pretty difficult to operationalize, um, telling people that they do need to know the exchange rate of air in their clinic. However, again, for this particular pandemic not being considered to be uh, aerosolized, it doesn't matter. But for your measles patients, it actually interestingly might. Um, but um, that, I would say, as a clinic operator, has been a little bit of an area of concern. I'm in an 11-story building. There's no way I'm ever going to know what the air exchange rates are. So we have followed the, the low-brow recommendations, which is uh, improve ventilation as best you can. We leave our windows open. We're in an old building, so we're lucky. We just leave them open. Um, and if there's no one else in the clinic, we leave the door to the exam room open if we have one COVID assessment, for example, that we're doing. Um, and I would look forward to hearing if truly I am required to understand the ventilation system in my building. Um, I would like to advocate that that might be beyond what I might be able to do as a clinic director. 
You're right, Brenda. Um, we run into this when we look at asbestos as well. Uh, if you're a leasee in a building, you don't have control over the building. And these are complicated matters where if that did go that way, um, what, what are the responsibilities of the building owner and the, um, the, the, the lease, uh, your lease and what, you know, who, who's in charge, who, who has the ability to make changes? These are expensive, very expensive changes. I would imagine that the newer buildings or well have very uh, robust systems. Some of the old ones, maybe not so much. Okay, thank you. There, there's um, uh, another quick note on, on notes. Um, we've heard Adrian Dick say that um, family physicians shouldn't have to uh, provide notes uh, for work. Does WorkSafe BC have any requirements beyond the F8s and F11 forms filled in for doctors to provide notes for patients to their employers? No, um, that would be the employer asking. Yes, that would be the employer asking, and we're this we're going to run up against this, I think, as things open. Um, and I would like to see that that continues. That, um, but I'm not really sure. That would be a good question for for Bonnie Henry on the 26th. Okay. And uh, just I recognizing we're there's one last question I'd just like to ask here because it's relevant, and I think you've partly answered it. What if we have a medical office assistant who uh, will not work because of her concerns about her or his personal risk? Is your question, what would you do in the clinic, or what is that MOA's right? Well, the MOA, um, is that a WorkSafe BC claim that gets started mm -hmm. and um, filled out for whatever the reason is that they won't return to work? Possibly. Uh, the other thing, too, is uh, if, if an employer says, here are all the, all the actions we're taking, here are the controls we have in place, we're giving you all the education and training. You still don't want to come back. Um, are they refusing unsafe work? And uh, then basically if uh, the unsafe work uh, uh, process has to be followed, and then if they're still at a standstill, uh, then, then WorkSafe BC can be called, and we will come in and, and make the determination. Generally speaking, if that occurs, quite often a worker has initiated a mental health claim and is going off for mental health uh, reasons. Right. I know our MOAs were very fearful at the beginning, and it took a lot of conversations, a lot of communication. We shared, in fact, all the information about droplet and contact spread. You know, we need to remember that uh, our MOAs don't have often the same training that we have. Uh, and so we just spent a lot of time answering their questions, answering their fears, asking what can we do differently to make it so that you feel you can come to work. Um, and then because a lot of them are working from home, we've been able to swap out those that are more fearful tend to be at home all or most of the time. And those that feel that uh, they're comfortable with our workplace are the ones that tend to come in. Of course, we're fortunate because we're a bigger clinic. If you have one MOA, that's maybe not so easy, but I can't stress enough the importance of two-way, uh, thoughtful, careful communication, listening, hearing, adapting uh, to the changes that your staff are asking for. 
Thank you. And I'm sure to the audience and certainly for myself, I'm sure you'd love to hear more from this incredible panel, but we have reached 90 minutes and uh, we do have to stop. So I'd really like to express my sincere gratitude to the panel, Dr. Sampson, Ms. Holmes, Dr. Hardy, and Ms. Friesen, all very dedicated healthcare professionals. Thank you all. And the ex you're all excellent educators and taking the time from your busy lives and your heavy clinical uh, and administrative duties to answer the questions tonight. So thank you from all of us. I also want to acknowledge our hardworking UBC staff, Stephanie yes. uh, Amiyu and uh, Jen, Judy Chen, Desiree Tejoros, Kathy Kao, Stephanie Tin, Kate Maffin, Yan Chow, Vivian Lam, Nina Zurich, Lindsay Callan, Michelle Bryson, Sandy McNeil, and Jenny Barrows. Um, we couldn't have done it without all you guys uh, for these webinars, so really thank you. And I want to thank all of you for attending and hope the session was of value. Apologize we couldn't get to all of your questions. There's so much information um, that we've given you some resources and they'll be available for you to access. Please take a few moments right now to complete the attendance and evaluation forms that were emailed you so you can get study credit and provide feedback on tonight's webinar. And please note that this webinar tonight is accredited for up to 1.5 hours, the main pro and section one credits. And I thought you might want to also know about and register for other upcoming webinars being prevented in our COVID-19 webinar series. There's the uh, RHC webinar series it's from the Rural Coordination Center of BC, and it's three free webinars for rural practitioners on Wednesday evenings this month. There's still two more on May 20th and 27th at 7, uh, delivering culturally safe care during the pandemic, ask anything rural emergency room topics. And then uh, there will be a second WorkSafe BC webinar on June 9th, and there'll be more details to follow. And finally, please be aware that in the follow-up email you receive containing tonight's webinar recording and links to resources mentioned, there'll also be a link to our very robust and highly valued COVID-19 resource hub, as well as to, and as to newer resources um, called uh, RECT, which is R-E-A-K-T, which is available to answer any of your COVID-19 questions as well a link to our COVID-19 podcast and other webinar recordings and summaries will be included. So thank you to you all. Uh, please take care and uh, really appreciate your time tonight and for everybody attending. Uh, be safe and take care. Thanks for joining us. And I'm also pleased to tell you about our two other shows on the UBC Medicine Podcast Network. The Metamorphosis Podcast was created by students for students, and it's long-form interviews with medical specialists about their careers, their passions, and their practice. And we hope that it's going to help med students in navigating their career and choosing a specialty. That's Metamorphosis, spelt M-E-D. Our third show, Primary Care in a Pandemic, looks at the changes in primary care in BC during COVID-19. Doctors Morgan Price and Sarah Fletcher talk about ways primary care clinics can and are adapting to this crisis. They try to keep things real and practical so you can apply these ideas in your practices. Brought to you by UBC's Primary Care Innovation Support Unit, or ISU, in the Department of Family Practice. And please tune in for the rest of our episodes. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 